Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. Uh, if you are here and this is your first time, we just once again want to warmly welcome you to Shepherd's Gate. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're just delighted to have you here. Or if you're joining us online, wherever that may be, it may be live right now, maybe later today, or you're watching on demand during the week. We're just so thankful that you're giving up an hour of your time to join us uh, for what we know is important for our lives time with God. And taking that time, whether it's today, whether it's tonight, whether it's tomorrow or throughout the week, that we're doing whatever it is that we can to keep our focus on the one who has created us, the one who has redeemed us, the one who gives us his Holy Spirit to help us navigate whatever we face in this life. Amen. And uh, if you're new today and you haven't been with us maybe for the last couple of weeks, uh, we are concluding a sermon series that we started at the beginning of June called Ready, Set, Stop. Stop. So this is the grand finale. <laughs> this is amazing. This is what you've waited for for the last three weeks because I'm going to tell you everything that you need to know from God's word and give all of us permission today to stop. And no one's excited about that. I'll break you a little late on that one. So I'm going to give everyone permission today to stop. Amen. Hey, yeah. And the cool part, this isn't a TED Talk. This isn't me just saying, oh, you know, I'm a psychologist or a counselor or this or that, although there's nothing wrong with those things. This is straight from God's word. It's what, it's what he models for us. It's what he encouraged us to do. It's what he actually told his disciples to do, as you'll see in the scriptures that we're covering today. But let me ask you this. Have you ever had somebody that just got right up in your face and told you to just stop? Any of you on the ride to church today have somebody else driving a car that maybe cut you off or, or wasn't churning fast enough for you? And the person in the passenger seat or person in the back seat actually vocalized to you, just stop. Isn't that annoying when someone tells you how to drive, right? Any of you with kids, your kids are just at, at your, you know, you're just at your wit's end because they just will not stop. And so you don't know what else to do. You want to kill them, but instead you decide that maybe it's better just to scream at them. Just stop. Think about this. Even that little video that you watched, as there were some questions that were posed in running this race of life. Do you need your heavenly father to say to you today, just stop. In a loving and gracious way, just stop. You can trust me. You can trust that I'm in control. You can trust that I'm in control of your life. You can trust that I'm in control of your family. You can trust that I'm in control of your business. Amen. I know everything about you. I know everything about your finances. I know everything about your books. You can trust me. I am your God, and I love you, and I have never stopped working my plan in your life and what's for best for you. It's interesting when we think about, uh, you know, these sermons and actually having to admit that we're human beings. One of the things that we've said the last several weeks is we are human. We're not machines. And even if you look down, you can see there's veins. See my veins? And that right now there's a heart that's pumping blood all throughout my body just as there is blood pumping through your veins. Do you know that your body is also eternal? Did you know that? That it's not just your soul that it's eternal, it's your body that's eternal. 
You see, when you die, they will put you in the earth, whether you get cremated or they put you six feet under your body. But one day when Jesus comes back, he will call your body back up to your soul. Your body and soul will be reunited and your body you will live with for all eternity. Amen. Isn't that encouraging? Usually this is part of what we talk about at funerals or at the committal or at the gravesite. And people are like, no, I don't want my body. I want to leave it in the ground. I'm fine with my soul going on. What a crazy concept is this? And really what it comes down to is it's not our choice. It's God in his grace and his mercy through what he's done through Jesus Christ and defeating sin and the devil and death. But here's the good news. We get sanctified. We get, we get eternal bodies. We get whole new bodies. These, yes. These bodies that were created by God in our mother's womb, that were fearfully and were wonderfully made. The, the Bible tells us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And that there is, there is scripture that talks about how we treat our bodies and what we do with our bodies and the bodies that God has given us on this earth. So our bodies are eternal and we've been talking about this as well, that our souls are eternal. Whether you're going to heaven or you're going to hell, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus, and if you're here and maybe you're questioning your faith or maybe you don't know where you're at, know that God is speaking to you today. God wants all men and all women to come to a saving knowledge of him. He wants to put something in your heart, in your life, that you know that you were created by him, that he sent Jesus to redeem you, and that he has a purpose and a plan that far exceeds whatever you could come up with on this earth. And when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, your eternity starts in that moment. So many of us that follow Jesus, we are living in eternity. Isn't that great? We might die. We might go to sleep. Our bodies may separate from our souls, but our souls live forever and ever and ever and ever in perfect peace and in perfect rest with God, our Father. See, our time here on earth, it really is just a moment. It's a fleeting moment of time. And yet all of eternity is with God. And if that's the case, if that's really what we believe, man, think about the rhythm that God has given us. Think about the gifts that he's given us in spending time with him and allowing him to pour into our hearts and our lives and to give us just a slice of what that will look like even here on earth. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. Think about that. Think about what's vying for your soul. Everything that, that the world is communicating to you, the society that we live in, work harder, work longer, work, 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 and then die. And then what? Somebody else enjoys all your toys. Somebody else enjoys all your money, all the fruit of your labor. Well, maybe God has a different plan. Maybe God sees it differently. Now remember, because we talked about this last week, that God's rhythm for your life actually starts the night before. See, we're so conditioned that when we wake up in the morning, we think that's the start of our day. But even God, in his infinite wisdom, when he created the world back in Genesis, he said these words, there was evening and then there was morning. The evening comes first and then the morning, and the Jewish people still celebrate this way. Their day starts at night. They close their businesses down at night, and then they open them up the next 
mourning on the Sabbath. And it says this, there was mourning, and it actually says it in verse 8, 13, 19, 23, and 30 more, and 31. The first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, six days. It says the same exact sentence. See, God could have created the world in one day. He could have breathed it in one moment. He didn't have to take six days to do it, but he was setting a precedent. He was showing us an example. He was setting it up for how we are to live our lives. Does anyone know what happens in Genesis chapter 2? Anybody in here go to Sunday school? (laughs) Anybody remember what God does on the seventh day? Wow, so many of you know. You just churn the chapter and it goes on to say this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work. So it's not that he's afraid of work, right? He had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from some of his work. It's not what it says. It says he rested from some of his work. No, all of his work. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. I want you to think about that, okay? God rested. Some of you I know, you have a hard time even getting through a church service without checking your email (laughs) or answering a text message or thinking about work or thinking about a task or thinking about a yard project or thinking about this or thinking about that. God Almighty, this is so hard sometimes to grapple with, isn't it? God Almighty rested. Why would he do that? He didn't need to rest. He's infinite. He has all wisdom and knowledge. He has everything at his disposal. He can do whatever he wants. Yet he loves us enough and wanted to set the precedent and the pattern and the rhythm of life for us that he rested. He did nothing. God did nothing for an entire day. That's nuts. That's crazy, isn't it? You've probably heard of some of you a thousand times over. Let this sink in. It's absolutely crazy. So if Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, took time to rest, why do we think that we don't need to stop and rest? Same thing happened at nine. It got really quiet. Can someone tell me why we don't rest? Why do we believe that we don't need to rest? Who knows? Nobody knows. Because why? Our culture tells us not to. Thank you. Anybody else? There's too much to do. What else? Busy, busy, busy. Thank you. The pressures from other people think you're lazy, right? Whether it's your spouse or your, or your siblings or your people in your community or people at your workplace. What are you doing? You're going on vacation again? What do you mean you don't answer your email when you're on vacation? 
I was at a dermatologist appointment a few years back that my wife told me I had to go to. And I was talking to this lady, and we were talking about going on vacation. And she said, uh, I said, well, where are you going? And she told me. And I said, oh, I said, it's got to be incredible. She's got two little kids. Uh, but she owns the dermatology practice, and her husband actually owns his own construction company. And, they, and I said, so how does that work? And she said, well, what we do is when we go on vacation, I take the kids one day, and my husband takes the kids the next day. And we go back and forth because... Uh, I have to keep track of my patients in my practice, and he has to keep track and keep pace with his company. And I said, let me, let me ask you this. So there's never a day that you're actually together as a family. And she goes, well, sometimes we squeeze in a meal here or there. But we have so much that we have to do. And my company's reliant on me, and his company's reliant on him. And my heart broke for this woman and her family. Because what was I teaching their kids? What was the pattern that was being set up for them and how you are to function and live in this world? Can I ask you this? At what point is enough enough? At what point what you have, what God has given you, you know, you know the phrase, happy is the man who wants what he has. At what point do we just become content with what it is that God has already blessed us with? Do you know there will always be another project? There will always be another sales call to make. There will always be another weed to pull from the garden. There will always be another floor to mop. There will always be another sandwich to make. I mean, go down the line. And yet God, in his grace and his mercy, is calling us to come as we sang about. Sit at his feet. Think of that. Sit at his feet and come and find rest. One of our members had a doctor's appointment this last week. And she sent me an email. She took a picture of what the doctor had on the wall. And she said, Tim, you're not going to like this. And I love this because she sent me the picture. And I asked her if I could show it in church. And she said yes. But this is what she found at her doctor's office. Life is like riding a bicycle. In order to keep your balance, you must keep moving. And she goes, I looked at that and I said, not me. That is not what we're talking about in church. Because that's what we're told. Keep moving. Keep working harder. Keep working longer. Keep killing yourself. For what? What are we doing all of this for? She also told me another one that was funny. She goes, it's the same thing. She's like, I was, I was watching a movie with my, with my uh, grandkids in this movie called Finding Nemo. And the, and, and the thing popped up again because they keep saying, swim, 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 swim. Don't ever stop. You just keep swimming. And even fish die, right? At some point, you stop swimming. At some point, you die. Is that what life is all about? We all know, no. And here at Shepherd's Gate, and working with our staff, and all the things that, that, that we've encountered here, one of the words that became very strategic for us in the last 15 months was the word pivot. Now, those of you that play basketball, you know that when you pivot, you have to keep one foot on the ground, and you, you're allowed to to turn the front of your foot, but it allows you to move in different directions. You can pivot. You can pivot on a dime. You can pivot in a whole different direction. You can go 365 degrees. Whatever it is, you have the ability to pivot. And, it was, and I, I figured out that the staff were actually catching on to this word when during our staff review time, which is always February, so many of them had actually written it in their own self-evaluation. And then I pivoted. And then you asked us to do this, and so we had a pivot. And I was so proud of them for catching this on that we actually came up with T-shirts for them, and we put the word pivot on it. Isn't that cool? 
But we said, given the circumstances in the world that we live in, what if we came up with a staff model? And if you own a business, you can totally steal this, okay? And we said this. This is what our staff's going to be known for, that we serve hard. When it comes to serving, and our work as we view it here is serving, it's serving hard. We purposely didn't say work hard. We said serve hard. And do you know that if you don't work at the church, whatever it is that you do, you're serving hard as well? That your work is ultimately unto the Lord? It is not unto your spouse. It is not unto your family. It is not unto your employees or the community or any of those things. What you do is unto the Lord. We all, regardless of what it is that we do, serve hard. We serve to the Lord. But we also said that we want a staff culture that's not afraid to play hard. And there are times that we just need to come together and just enjoy the life that God has given us. Enjoy the planet that he's placed us on. Enjoy the nature that he has created for us to breathe in and enjoy. And we said as we serve hard and as we play hard, can you read what the last one says? Rest hard. In fact, the staff here at Shepherd's Gate know that when they go on vacation, when they're using their allotted vacation times, their email must be disconnected. They are not allowed to stay connected. We have other people that can cover for people around here. They need to rest. They need to allow their bodies and their souls to rest. And as you saw in the video, in the announcement video, it was kind of cool, even this last Tuesday, the first time ever our staff went and, and had a voluntary staff serving day. We just set a step. Hey, if any of you want to go down to Detroit, let's just take up a whole day and let's just go and serve and so this is the picture of our staff that signed up to do this, and we got to join our high school students who were on a mission trip all last week serving in Detroit. I was so proud of our staff, rolling up their sleeves, going and doing grunt work. I mean, we were, we were cleaning gardens, and we were uh, cleaning curbs, and picking weeds, and doing all sorts of stuff that wasn't that glamorous, out there in the hot sun and sweating. But we also said, now that we've done this, it's time. We need to take time to rest. And here's the thing, we all know that this is a reality. We all know the statistics are out there, the data is out there. You can go and read dozens and dozens of books. And it always usually comes back to this, that rest, we know, reduces stress. Remember we talked about this last week? How stressed out Americans are? The leading country in the world for stress. That rest actually, think about this, it rewires your brain. And do you know that they say that you're actually not on vacation until you've been on vacation for the third or fourth day? I want you to think about that. For those of you, maybe your pattern is you only take three or four day vacations and you take them all throughout the year, that you're actually truly haven't disconnected from your work and the pace of life that you're living until the third or fourth day. Maybe we've got to reclaim the week of vacation or the two weeks of vacation. And we know this, that rest replenishes our bodies and our souls. Again, we're human beings created in the image of God. I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. I want you to think about God's son. That he didn't even step foot, he didn't take one step forward into public ministry until he was 30 years old. 30 years old. The Gospels tell us about his birth, and then there's this one time where he's in the temple when he's a teenager, and then it's pretty much quiet until he's 30 years old. He goes into the temple in his own village. He pulls out the scroll from Isaiah. He reads it. He tells the people from his own village that he is the promised Messiah. That's how he started his ministry. 
And for the next three years, he did exactly what God the Father asked him to do before going to the cross and dying for not just a couple of us, but for all of us and all mankind throughout all of history. Imagine if you only had three years of your life. If you knew you only had three years, what would you do with those three years? Would you be like, I think I'm going to plan times at least once a month to rest. Right? Anyone do that? Or I'm going to figure out a way to just slow down my life. But listen to me. This is exactly what Jesus did because he not only, he not only withdrew and rested within those three years, he invited and told his disciples to do the very same thing. And sometimes we skip over these scriptures. Sometimes we don't realize the magnitude of the moment of what Jesus is teaching us. Let me show you this one in Mark chapter 6. It says this, The apostles are disciples that are interchangeable, but the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. See, he had sent them out to these different villages to go and to heal the sick and to cast out demons and to do incredible ministry. And so they're coming back to report on these things. And they were also persecuted because not everyone that they shared the message of Jesus with actually received it. And it said, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and what? Why did he tell them to do that? Because they had been working so hard. He knew how taxing the work that he had called them into. And they needed to rest their bodies and they needed to rest their souls. Look at what it says. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. That shows you how hard they were working. That shows you how passionate they were to serve hard for Jesus and what it was that he called them to do. They didn't even have time to eat, but they did what he told them to do and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Doesn't that sound nice? All the introverts in the room, doesn't that sound wonderful? All the extroverts in the room, you need desolate places as well. You just don't realize it. And when you go to that desolate place, guess what? You can talk to your buddy Jesus. That's who you get to talk to, right? He's there. He wants to be in relationship with you. How about in Matthew 14 where it says this, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now pause there for a moment. This scripture is tucked in the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And if you know, back in this time, they only counted men. So there was more like twenty to 25,000 people. This massive crowd. I want you to think about this. He was the first megachurch pastor, right? He had all of these people assembled. He had disciples, you know, doing the nursery and kids ministry and youth ministry. They were passing out baskets full of loaves and fishes. I mean, he was feeding all of these people. This incredible miracle. And he realizes that they're a little exhausted, Because the disciples are human beings. The disciples have blood running through their veins. And so he tells them to get in the boat and go ahead. And then he dismisses the crowd. And I've always wondered, how do you dismiss 20,000 plus people? You know, see you all later. Goodbye. Go back to your homes. And it says, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He gave them an opportunity to rest and he himself went and spent time with God the Father and knew that he needed to be poured into because he was body and soul. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Matthew chapter 13, verses one. Are you ready for this? This is one of the most incredible verses in all of this. It says, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. 
How lazy. <laughs> Anybody ever read that and go, geez, couldn't heal a couple more people? Certainly there were still people with demon possession. You could have spent all of your time doing ministry, Jesus. What are you doing sitting by the lake? You only got three years. Come on. You only got three years till retirement. You only got this to this. You only got that to that. How much do you need in your bank account, right? Here he is sitting by the lake. And what is he doing? He's allowing God the Father to pour into him. Because if you keep reading chapter 13, you find out that the crowds, they found him. And of course, because he's full of grace and mercy, he began to teach them and he got the disciples working and he did what it is that God had called him to do. But he always took time to rest and to replenish. So where's that for you? Where's your place of rest? Does everyone have a place of rest? Is it your recliner at your house? You turn on the TV and five minutes later you're asleep? Then your spouse wakes you up and tells you to go to bed. Is that your place of rest? Is it a chair in the backyard where you just sit and you just stare at a tree and you watch the squirrels and the, and the birds? That's what Pastor Craig does. Okay. Is he still in here? Aha, perfect, got him. Where is that for you? Has God blessed you with a cottage? Has, has God given you a boat? Has God given you a place that you can go with your family and just disconnect from everything and allow your body and your soul to rest? I'll tell you for me, you guys know, I, I've always been driven. I've always wanted to do more, take on more. We got more, we got more mountains to climb. We got more things that we got to accomplish in this life. And I'm so thankful for my spouse. I'm so thankful that she is an opposite personality like me. That she has taught me over the years that we've been married how to rest. And she's forced me to have to rest. In fact, one of the things that she's always loved doing is going to the beach and just sitting at the beach and just watching the water and just spending hours and hours and hours at the beach. Anybody else do this? Let me tell you, 13 years ago, I thought this was the worst idea on the planet. <laughs> We would get in fights about this. I'm like, you're Italian. You have beautiful brown skin. You can be out outside all day. I got this German skin. I have to put on sunscreen every hour and a half. You know how annoying that is? I was not made for the beach or the sun. And she just prayed and she was patient with me. And now one of my favorite things to do is to grab a chair and to go sit and do absolutely nothing on the beach. Do you notice there's no laptop tied to my foot? I don't have a cell phone because whenever we go on an extended vacation, I just turn everything off. And I know some of you are like, that's crazy. I could never do that. I bet you can. I bet you're smart enough to figure out how to do it or to raise other people up or if you're in a leadership position that you can get others that you can entrust to take care of things to again allow yourself the rest that God has for you. I mean, what is that for you? How do you unplug and unwind? Where is the Holy Spirit, even throughout this whole sermon series, talking to you and communicating to you and helping you understand the love that he has for you? This isn't a got to, this is a get to. We get to rest. Isn't that incredible? We get to rest. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. 
I love this, just as God did from his. And this is how we know it's being passed on, that, that God passed it on to Jesus, Jesus passed it on to the disciples, the disciples then began to pass it on to others, that the church understood the rhythm of life and the importance of rest. Many of you, I'm sure you're thinking about Exodus chapter 20, one of our commandments where it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Which commandment is this? Which one is it? It's the third commandment. Right up at the very beginning, remember the Sabbath. The Sabbath's a big churchy word. Does anybody know what the Sabbath means? What's the Sabbath mean? What is it? Seventh day. What else does it mean? Rest. Guess how much God wants you to rest. This is literally what the word Sabbath means. A day of rest. Not an hour, but an entire day. And back then, the people of God were forced to rest for an entire day. A lot of people, they know the commandment, but they don't know what follows the commandment. Some of you, you may uh, start remembering this as I read it, but if you keep reading this commandment, it says this, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Isn't that awesome? Get ready, it gets better. Neither you nor your son or daughter. Hey, kids in the room, this is great, right? <laughs> nor your male or female servant, nor your animals. The cat and the dog get to take a break as well. <laughs> nor any foreigner residing in your towns. And then again, it just repeats itself. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he even made it holy. Your day of rest is holy. You don't have to feel guilty about resting. It's holy. It is God honoring. It is him pouring his life and his presence into your life. And do you know that as you rest, that you're actually more productive? Do you know that when you actually have that rhythm and you take the time to rest, that God can do far more and exceedingly more in your heart and your life than if you just keep running and running and running and running? Far more. Some of the most successful people in the world will tell you this. They've written books on it and they become even more wealthy. And they just tell you, yeah, because I took time to rest because I had the right rhythm of life. And for those of you that maybe you lead teams at your places of work, maybe you own your own business, maybe you have employees serving under you, maybe you're the head of your house, do you realize you're the one that is setting the pace for your family and for your organization or your business? Everyone is watching you. Everyone's watching how you respond to things. And again, what you do is service to the Lord. And so not only are you responsible for yourself, you're responsible for everybody else that God has placed in your life. I'm responsible in how I lead my family. I'm responsible in what is modeled to my kids. I'm responsible in how I lead the staff here at Shepherd's Gate. Many of you, God has put you in those positions because you have incredible gifts. Here's another picture for you to help you. Any of you like NASCAR? Anybody, anybody watch NASCAR? I've never used a NASCAR analogy before, but I thought it would be fun today. What's this car up front called? And what's the purpose of a pace car? Slow him down. Because every one of those cars behind there can go how fast? 
over 200 miles an hour. Everyone has the capacity. There's people that maybe even work in, in your business or in your organization. They want to go fast. You have a responsibility as the leader to help them. You and your families, you have a responsibility to help your kids. And how many kids now, they're so stressed out and they're dealing with anxiety because in the schools and everywhere else, they're just told, work harder, work harder, work harder, work harder. You got to compete with all the other kids. You got to get all the other scholarships. You got to practice more than everybody else. And isn't it interesting that God's over here saying, oh, come on. Come sit at my feet. Come find rest in me. Come see what it is that I can do in your life. See this incredible life that I have for you, even here in your time on earth. It's going to far exceed anything that anybody else tells you what to do with your life. Let me ask you again, where is it? Where is it that God is calling you today to stop and to rest and to spend time in his presence and allow him to recharge you? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we do honor you today. God, we thank you for the pattern that you have set up in Scripture. and You have showed and you've modeled us the way. God, we know that you've also placed us in this country, this very driven country that's, that has been successful, that's been blessed in so many ways. But God, we don't want to burn out. We don't want to destroy our lives or our marriages or our families or our businesses. God, everything we do, we want it to be honoring to you. So God, we pray today. We pray, would you convict our hearts? Would you help us to realize the importance of rest and to figure out over the next couple of months what are those times that we can begin to create healthy boundaries and a healthy rhythm where we can allow your Holy Spirit to, to pour into us to remind us that we are humans and that we're your children. You are God. You love us. And all the things that we worry about so often, that God, you are already working on our behalf. So God, help us to let go. Help us to trust you. Help us to know that you have our best interest in mind each and every time. And God, I just pray for an incredible season of rest upon our church that as people go on vacations, as they go to their cottages, boats, wherever they may be going, whatever they may be doing, sitting in the backyard, in a chair, watching birds and squirrels, whatever it may be, God, flood us with your presence and your peace for our bodies and for our souls. God, we love you and thank you. We know it all to you and to your son, Jesus Christ. It's in your son's most holy and precious name we pray. Amen.